I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everyone. Today's guest and co-host is actress, podcaster, and New York Times bestselling author, Becca Tobin. Becca and I talk about her surreal experience on Glee, female friendships and mean girls, infidelity and heartbreak, her podcast, Lady Gang, and Lady Gang's second book, Lady Secrets, The Things No One Tells You About Being Pregnant, and a lot more. Our first caller today is Alyssa, who, after the recent loss of her mother, feels selfish talking about what she's going through. Alyssa's boyfriend wants her to let him in and share her grief, but she doesn't know how to do this without feeling guilty. Next to call in is Jordan, who for the past 12 years has had a crush on a friend from college. They follow each other on social media and are the first to like each other's photos, but neither has reached out. Fearing rejection, does Jordan leave things as they are, or does he finally make a move? If you want some unqualified advice and would like to talk with me and my wonderful guests, we would love to hear from you. You'll find a link in our show notes. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your host, Anna Ferris. I was reading somewhere about your high school experience. Do you feel like talking about that? Sure. You know, the high school experience, I don't think anyone has it great. I think that the more I get to know women, and the beauty of our podcast is women get so vulnerable. So the women that you think had the most breezy, beautiful high school experience, it's like, first of all, there's mean girls at every level. And it's so sad. So whether you're at the top of the pyramid or the bottom... I think women, we have been wired to be jealous of other women constantly. And I think in high school, for me personally, I was this like musical theater dork who would like sing Thoroughly Modern Millie at the top of my lungs in my bedroom. And my sister was like a cheerleader and cool. And I did a really good job though at faking being really cool. And I had a really tough exterior. So even when people were mean to me, I had a really great ability and gift to kind of like act as if it didn't hurt me. So people left me alone for the most part. But I had in middle school was the bullying that was just so insane. Like I'll never forget. I had this little group of girlfriends and I thought they were like my sisters. And I thought we were all so close. And one day I looked over and one of my best friends was writing this big letter eight on a piece of paper with a Sharpie. And I looked over and I was like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, nothing. And then I found out a couple of days later that it was all those girls keeping track of how many days in a row I wore the same pair of jeans. Oh, I think at that point, I was just so humiliated and so hurt that I just kind of made this decision that I was just never, ever, ever going to let them see me sad or defeated. And from that point on, I was kind of Teflon, even a tough stuff. And I'm still shaking that Teflon thing I'm doing now. Like it's really hard for me to be vulnerable. That was my coping mechanism, I guess. Is your sister older or younger? She's four years older than I am. So that is a big influence too. 
Yeah. And we were both social. You know, we both had friends. And I always hear you talking about not speaking the language, like the girl language. Oh my God, you're so sweet that you've actually listened. First of all, I'm such a super fan of this podcast that I almost didn't want to do it because I was like, I can't do this. Oh, Becca. I do. I love your podcast. I even from the beginning, I wanted to tell you your studio executive that you play. What's her name again? Oh God. I haven't done her forever. I loved her so much. She was always like, I don't know. I'm just not sure if this is going to work. Like just nothing impresses her. I love her. And we all know her. (laughs) I know. So I've listened from the beginning. I love the podcast and I've heard you talk about female friendships and how challenging that is. And I think having a sister, you do learn the lingo and you learn how to kind of communicate and exist with other women because she was so different than I was. My parents were never comparing us. She was like in the gifted program. Sure. She was a genius. And I couldn't even like get past, you know, the first interview for like the gifted program because I was so far from gifted. And so my parents just knew how to cultivate our little personalities and our passions. And she's now this like huge successful attorney and I'm obviously a podcaster, which is super impressive too. (laughs) You are like an incredible person and performer. Thank you. you. It's amazing that your parents identified your strengths and nurtured them. Yeah. And that you recognize that. But you're right about the comparative nature of women and especially in those formative years, like girl dynamic, like there's more than two people involved in a female friendship at that age someone is going to lose. It's hard. It's a lot of heartbreak. A lot of heartbreak. That's the first experience with heartbreak, in my opinion, just with females in general. Like, I don't think anybody has had such an easy breezy friendship story from the beginning. I'm always really envious, though, of people who have that like one friend who they've been close with from the time they were born. And, you know, and I guess that's sort of my sister, but we still had our bullshit in between. Now we're amazing and she's my best friend. But yeah, I didn't have that with women who weren't related to me. Becca, speaking of heartbreak, how old were you when you first felt like you were in love? And will you tell us about a heartbreak in your life? Oh, gosh. I feel like I was really boy crazy from the beginning. Me too. Really? Oh, God. My Barbies were always naked. Mine too. I had a whorehouse. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) They would hide in like crevices and my mom would find just naked Barbies everywhere. Like doing the splits. Oh, the splits. (laughs) So much 69ing before I even knew, you know? It's like instinctual. So yeah, I was really into Barbies and I was a romantic I had a lot of crushes. I think my very first feeling of really like, this is love, was this guy named, not guy, boy, named Blake Douglas. And it was in fifth grade, I think. And I remember us going to quiet places together and being like, you're my person. (laughs) Wow. It's so fucked up. No, it feels courageous. It was so weird, you know? And what's crazy is that he was so kind and we sort of grew up together. You know, it was elementary school into middle school and high school and we kept in touch with each other and it was really sweet and so pure. And I just remember I had parents who were really madly in love with each other and still are and they met in high school. So to me, I was like, well, my mom met my husband at 14. It could be me too. I certainly didn't. That was like the first time I felt I really wanted a partner. But, you know, later down the line, I had like a high school boyfriend and it got more intense for me. I'm getting the feeling this didn't end well. Yeah, he cheated (laughs) on me. 
you know, yep, of yep. course, as they do, <laughs> as they should, you know, it's like he's 18. He's just starting to have sex and figuring it out. And we were long distance and we went away to college, but I will never forget getting the call from a mutual friend that he cheated on me with this girl named Maria with giant breasts. Oh boy. And she was beautiful. And I just fell to the floor as if someone had died. And I think I came down with the flu or something. I was so devastated and so distraught. Freshman year, of course. So yeah, that was it. I mean, I dumped him, but then I really famously on the podcast, I talk a lot about how I've never been dumped. And I think it's because I am a good picker. I want you to elaborate on this because I do think it totally goes back to Blake. Is that his name? Mm -hmm. Blake. I think that's really remarkable. I was a terrible picker. Yeah. I like darkness. You know, I wanted someone to be able to reciprocate all of the angry feelings that, I mean, I grew up in Seattle in the 90s, you know. Oh, so much angst. Everyone was angry. And I bought these like massive platform boots. I went through this period where I dressed like remarkably, I don't know, I think any word that I'm about to describe is probably really archaic and dates me. But in freshman year of college, I wore these tiny little plaid skirts and fishnet stockings. Mm -hmm. I was feeling attractive for the first time in my life. I was feeling the power of getting male attention, which I didn't have. And it was heady for me. I could not handle it well. So I wouldn't sleep with anybody because I never wanted them to see my actual body, like my lack of tits. Right. And I went through this period where I would also march which is very weird. Like officially march with the marching band? Nope. With yourself. (laughs) Just with myself. I was looking for like this subversive attention. I love it. But yet everything about me reverberated, don't talk to me. Look, but don't touch. I didn't know what to do with the possibility of a new identity. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I sometimes think that that like natural inclination to look at me, but don't touch me. There's a lot of control in that Mm -hmm. or you feel so in control. And that's a lot of what made me love acting was because it was a lot of validation and a lot of exposure, but everything was at an arm's length. Mm -hmm. Look at me, look at me, look at me, but I'm on stage and there's like all these people in the audience and I'll never talk to you. I'll never have to communicate or connect with you. Also a level of narcissism, but I'll chip away at that in therapy, but it's control. It's like being able to express myself without having to be responsible for what's going to come back to me. That is a wonderful way to put it. Yeah, I've always been really drawn. And I've fought against that too, though. You know, without the performing aspect, it's hard. You know, when you start a podcast where you're just yourself and you start meeting people and connecting with people as yourself, that's a more reciprocal energy exchange. And it was really hard for me in the beginning when we started to meet girls out in the world who listen to the podcast. It was hard for me to have those exchanges and not feel totally uncomfortable and out of control because... It was different. It was such a different way of expressing myself than I was used to. Well, Becca, I am interested in the idea that you choose well, that something about you has like a wisdom. And where do you think that comes from? I think it's a little bit of having a dad who really was wonderful. And I never saw my dad check out another woman. I never saw my dad even comment on another woman's appearance. And it was just all about my mom. You know, they were so monogamous and they were each other's best friends. And I'm sure now as an adult, I've been struggling a little bit with like those expectations in my own life because I never saw 
like a messy relationship. So when my relationships get messy, I'm like, well, this isn't right. This is not what my parents had. I know they had it. I just didn't see it. And they did a really good job of hiding that stuff from me. Not that there was a lot, but I had a dad who really made me feel worthy of someone loving me. And so I didn't think it was the craziest thing in the world that Blake Douglas wanted to spend his life with me because my dad had told me my whole life, all the messages were, you're worthy of love, you know? And it's the most incredible thing that one of the greatest gifts that I could have ever been given. And then from that point on, I did the dirtbag who cheated on me in high school. And I still had those moments of being excited by the bad boy. But if I felt someone wasn't into me, I didn't waste my time. I just didn't chase. And maybe it was because I was too like scared of being rejected. But I was like, oh, this is not for me. I'm going to go to the thing that's welcoming me in or the thing that's showing me the love. And I'm going to walk toward the light in that way. And I've had a lot of beautiful relationships and beautiful humans in my life. I'm super grateful. I wonder if there's also a correlation of how in our industry, you know, we obviously get rejected all the time. But what are you talking about? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean some ago. <laughs> but while I didn't feel this way about guys, I did feel like I was a strong performer because of my parents. Mm -hmm. And I was able from a young age, if I was auditioning for something, I definitely had the ability to recognize if it was kind of quality or not. And that sort of protected me. So I don't know. I would imagine that maybe it was the same for you. Yeah. I mean, I think my parents were also those people that just instilled in me that if you work really, really hard, something's going to come from it. Even though with acting, we know that we can work really, really, really hard and still nothing could come from it. But overall, I think that that was just the theme of life was like, you just wake up and so much of the beginning was theater acting. Yes. And that makes a difference. It makes a big difference. And that was easier to kind of navigate because so much of the theater stuff in New York is for lack of a better term, legit. Whereas in LA, you have no clue what the thing is. I mean, I can't tell you how many offers I've gotten for the weirdest movies that never ever were made. And I'm pretty sure we're never even like a spreadsheet, <laughs> like never pitch deck. I got the offer right after you passed. <laughs> no, no. You got the offer and then they asked 75 women and then they were like, what about that random girl from Glee? She can't be working right now, right? In LA, that was such a weird thing. But I don't know. Yeah. In LA, it was like not more integrity, but maybe. So made it a little easier. So we both had adventures in television. Yeah. And it was by far the longest job I'd ever had. Yeah. I felt lucky every time I got to drive onto the lot. Mm -hmm. I got to park in my space. Yeah. I felt really fortunate. I loved my coworkers, but it wasn't without a lot of complication. Can you tell me about your experience? Yes. So I kind of landed on this show by accident in so many ways. I was working in New York. I was really frustrated with Broadway and I had gotten my first Broadway show and my big break and I kind of fell short a little bit and I felt so inadequate. Like I was just feeling like shit. And I actually started to get my yoga certification because I just felt like, ugh. I've been doing this my whole life and I feel gross. And I made it to the top of the mountain, you know, the top of whatever that musical theater mountain is, Broadway. And it kind of sucked. And it was heartbreaking. And I didn't know what was next. And then they were auditioning for some new characters to come on to Glee. So the show was already in existence and it was already this like massive phenomenon. 
So I did what I always do and I go and audition and expect nothing because that's statistically what happens when you go out and audition for stuff. And I thought I've never been on TV. They're certainly not going to put this random nobody on TV. Cut to I test for the show. They fly me to LA. I have no idea that I'm auditioning in front of Ryan Murphy, the creator of it. Because I was so out of that TV world. It just wasn't my orbit that I was in. So I was sitting you know, in front of Ryan Murphy doing my thing and not knowing who he was. And that's probably how I got the job because I didn't know and I kind of didn't care. And I get the job and I'm on set and it's like all happening like a movie, like a whirlwind. And I'm pulling onto the Paramount lot. And like you said, it was so many days were so surreal and I had to pinch myself. I'm like... I'm on Paramount. I am walking past stages where they've had the most, you know, famous TV shows and the most famous people and brilliant actors have been here. And so I totally had imposter syndrome for the majority of the beginning of that show. And I made so many close friendships, but I already entered a show that had so many dynamics and it was tricky. And I want everybody to like me. I want to not be in anybody's way. And I just want to not rock the boat. And so that's what I did. I put my head down. I really did my job every day. You know, we broke down our salaries the first season of the show as like the newbies. And it was like, I would have made more money working at Starbucks. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, this is the time of my life. And this is so much more money than theater. But little by little, every day that you're on a show like that and every interaction is navigating a minefield. It's a roller coaster. And I don't know, there's so much, especially with that show, there has been so much tragedy connected to it and so much loss and so much scandal and so much drama that sometimes I have a hard time remembering like what my experience was versus what the idea of the world was of that show. Like I made some of the closest friendships I've ever made in my life, but there are things I regret so much. I regret not taking up more space. I regret not asking for more and not more money. But I just felt like I was fooling everybody every moment that I was there because I ended up there by accident. What season did you join? Season four. So I did four, five, and six. That's hard, I would think. Really hard. Because everybody had established their relationships and their dynamics. And there had already been so much that went down in those first three seasons. And then that was a huge part of me just not wanting to take up space. I just wanted to come on. There were a lot of big personalities that I had been warned about you know, multiple personalities. And that's what I did. And I also can sort of see the good in everyone. I feel like that's a superpower, but I really had beautiful moments with every single person and ended up leaving that show with such a deep love and admiration for every single person that was on that show and involved in that show. That feels mature and generous. (laughs) Well, I've had a lot of therapy. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. There were days I was a demon and I... Hated everything and I was resentful. And I've also had enough space from it. Yeah. I've had a lot of space. I will tell you the years after, it's kind of like PTSD. Even if the experience was magical, that intense of an experience for that long that takes over your whole life pretty much, you're going to have PTSD when you come out of it. It is such a relief to hear you say that. I mean, every day I think, oh my God, this is such a great job. I mean, our hours were awesome. Yeah. They were like, intense, but awesome. We're only in hair and makeup Thursdays and Fridays. Dream. So it was like about 
the idea of performing like during rehearsal and figuring out the puzzle. And I really loved the mechanics of that. Like I remember just having so many laughs, so many special moments, working with incredible actors. So I feel confused a Mm -hmm. little bit. Mm -hmm. What happened to my drive? Yeah. (laughs) I thought I had one. I know I had one before. So I want to give myself, I think, just that space to not necessarily feel the pressure to analyze those seven intense years. Yeah. I mean, have grace with yourself because I think there were so many strong emotions that came in, positive and negative afterward. I had a freak out two days ago with a friend of mine about it. You know, I was like, you know, I put in so much work and so much time and so much of me, my essence, my everything. And I have never worked for that creative team again, you know, and I have abandonment issues that are so like, it's ridiculous. They don't owe me anything, but you can't help it when you do so much in that period of time. And it's so intense. You feel so many complicated feelings around the experience. So I would just give yourself grace and be patient because in 10 years, you might be like, it was the most magical time of my life. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I hope. I hope. But I've been wondering lately if my memory tends to sharpen Mm -hmm. towards the negative. Yeah. Which I don't want to do because it wasn't. Yeah. Of course it sharpens around the negative because like feeling bad and shitty are so much stronger than feeling content and satisfied and even happy. It's like the comments on Instagram. I can get a hundred people telling me that they love me and they are so grateful for the podcast. And then one asshole who's like, I watched you on Glee and you look like a 40-year-old in a Halloween costume. (laughs) And then I just, you know, spiral. So it's just, it's normal. Like that was actually a quote taken from my very first when they announced that I was joining the show. I was in a Cheerios uniform and a high ponytail. I was the ripe old age of 25 years old. And they were like, meet the new cast. And someone wrote, this looks like a 40-year-old housewife in a cheerleading costume. I mean, that was the first negative feedback and I will never forget it. I mean, not only does it and who has the time. Yeah. But I think that there's the confounding element of anonymous negativity. Oh, yeah. It's not something that I imagine you participate in. No. It's not something that would ever occur to me. And so I think that there's always that bafflement of like, wait, what? I'm like, who has time to sign up for a YouTube account? I am just you. How do you select your username? Yeah. I know you're going to be amazing at advice. First up, we have Alyssa. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Alyssa. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for your letter. Um, will you tell Becca and I what's going on? Of course. Well, yeah, first I want to say thanks so much for speaking to me. I always love how you approach your guests with such empathy. And I feel so lucky as well that Becca's on because I'm a lady ganger and <laughs> listen all the time. So it feels so nice <laughs> having two familiar voices. But yeah, the reason I wrote in is about four months ago, my mom passed away, which was obviously very difficult. I'm speaking to someone who is qualified about some of the trauma leading up to that, but it wasn't wholly unexpected. But that being said, me and my mom were super close. I'm an only child and my parents were divorced. So it was always the two of us and it was like a very significant loss. But what I think the problem was I want to talk to you guys about today is typically I'm not great at discussing my emotions, like don't love doing it. I love to compartmentalize things. Honestly, the fact I'm doing this is like kind of wild to me. But my fiance is very in touch with his emotions, his family. They all talk about how they feel all the time, which I think can be helpful for me because it kind of pushes me out of my comfort zone. And in this case, he really has encouraged me to be more like outward with my emotions. And it did feel like such a significant thing in my life. It was like, okay, yeah, this is probably a time where it's like okay to feel. Of course. I know. However, the thing that I found really challenging is like, I'm so not used to sharing my emotions and I get wrapped up in feeling like being so outwardly emotional just feels super selfish. Like, I feel like I'm not good at being there for other people. And that's not coming from anything external. It's so internal, but it just becomes this spiral of, okay, well, I'm being emotional because I should let it out. But that makes me feel worse because now that's affecting other people. And it all just kind of warps. So I guess my question, which is super loaded, is how can I get to a place where I feel more comfortable feeling my emotions without just getting so trapped and making it feel so selfish? Oh, Alyssa. Like I can see your pain and your hurt and your longing and how you are like, I'm going to put on a brave face because I'm strong. I get really, really embarrassed when I cry. Same. Becca, are you a good shower of emotion? No, I actually feel like this is exactly how I talked to my grief counselor Mm -hmm. for the first couple of years after dealing with a loss. Mm-hmm. And not so great at it. I still feel at times like I'm a burden for letting it out. And I don't want people to take care of me because it makes me feel uncomfortable. But think about if there's someone you love, mm-hmm. someone you love so, so, so much in so much pain. And you can't do anything to take that away. Your fiance knows that he can't bring your mother back and he can't do anything except for take care of you. If the roles were reversed, wouldn't you be? dying to take care of him and be there for him. And you would want him to let you in by withholding. You're actually not letting him do the thing that's going to make him also feel great. Yeah. Allow him in. It's hard as it is to be supported. I know your gut reaction is to fight against that urge, but it's going to feel really beautiful. And I promise you, you are not a burden. And I promise you, you're not going to be that person you're afraid to become if you just let a little bit out. Yeah, I so appreciate that. It's a good way to think about it. Yeah, I guess the thing that I worry about sometimes with that is 
I get so in my head as well where I'm like, I know he wants to be there to support me. And I know there's a lot he can do, but also in my mind, I'm like, you can't make this better. So then it's like, I feel like I'm setting him up to be working so hard at something that can't be fixed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know it sounds ridiculous. No, it doesn't at all. This just happened to you. Yeah. This is one of the most traumatic events that will happen to you in your life. Mm -hmm. And I'm really sorry that it happened to you early. I mean, it's going to happen for all of us. I'm really, really sorry it happened to you so young. This will be a long time. I think it's really, really brave and strong of you to call us because I don't know if I could have, you know, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have talked to anybody. But know that you're very normal and know that I think that we've also been, and maybe Becca, you can speak to this as well. Like I'm older than you two, but of the same sort of idea where we, in order to succeed, we got to like bury it down. And we take that into our personal lives as well. Do you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that there are kind of two categories of, I mean, I don't want to generalize, but like, fuck it. I think there's two categories of women in moments like this where you are either, I'm going to hold it together and I'm not going to let anybody see me break because I can do this and I'm so strong and I'm resilient and I don't want any special treatment. And it's really fucking annoying to get that sometimes. And I want to be left alone. And then there's women who, God bless them, they will let the tears flow and they don't care if they're going to hold up traffic (laughs) or whatever it is. And they want to feel their feelings and they're going to feel them when they want to feel them. And I had a lot of judgment around those people when I was going through my stuff. But what's really annoying is that parts of that, they have it figured out because the only way out is through And that's what my grief counselor said over and over and over again. She's like, you can't sidestep this. You can't push it, push it, push it down. And oh, I'm better. You have to go through it. You have to move through it. And sometimes that means breaking the fuck down, asking for help, waving the white flag and saying, you know what? I know I said I was going to do this thing. Not today. I know I said I was going to connect with this person. I know I said I was going to do this thing. No, you are going to advocate for yourself. You're going to cry when you want to fucking cry. You're going to scream when you want to scream because guess what? It doesn't last forever. And part of you is probably feeling like if I just let a little bit out, it's going to overflow and I'm going to be taken away into an institution because I'm never going to stop. I have news for you. You're going to. You're going to stop and it's going to feel fucking great afterward. Yeah. It's also not linear. Grief is not linear. There are no stages of grief. Some days you're going to feel totally fine. And three years from now, you can be walking down the street and feel like you've healed and you might have a breakdown. That's part of being human. Just let yourself feel the things and give yourself the grace and the patience to be gentle with yourself and give yourself permission. There is no judgment from anybody because no one knows what you're going through. It's also really normal right now to hate everybody. Like I hated everybody. I was like, don't tell me that you're sad that your 96-year-old grandmother just died. God bless. She had a beautiful life. You don't know what I'm feeling right now. And people, they are trying their best. They're trying so hard to connect and tell you they know what you're feeling. You're going to hate that for so long. Yeah. But the other beautiful part about this is you will like people again. That's good. (laughs) You won't feel so isolated. You won't feel like I'm the only person on this little island of sadness. And there's a veil that covers me and the rest of the world. 
and be grateful for this beautiful fiance and his family because I think he's put on this planet as part of this is to like let you feel and do it really supported. Yeah. And I'm sorry for this tangent. If you haven't had grief counseling, that's the other thing. Give yourself that hour every week to break the fuck down and then you don't have to sit across from dinner with the same person. You know, you pay the person, it's transactional, you get great advice and then you can leave it and pretend it never happened. And that's also magic. Yeah. Becca, that was unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah, honestly. I'm very passionate about grief. I haven't had a parent pass yet, but I understand the loneliness. Yeah. The inability to like not be able to transfer your specific pain to somebody else. And then it does get really frustrating, just like Becca was talking about it, when people are attempting to give like the things, the soothing balms, and like <laughs> it just shows how much you loved her and you're so lucky to have her and blah, blah, blah. No, you were unlucky that a wonderful person in your life passed before she should have. Totally. And I think a few things you guys said just hit the nail so hard on the head. The first is like, it does feel really isolating. I don't have any friends who have lost parents yet. And I feel like because of that, people don't know how to talk to me. You know what I mean? Like some people will avoid it, whatever. And that's isolating. And also back to what you said, which it was like you're in my head, is that thing where it's like, I don't want to start because I will never stop. So it's kind of reassuring to hear it will one day. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just helpful to hear from other people. I'm so sorry, God. You're so lovely. Thanks. What advice would you give to somebody who has recently lost a parent or at least what has been helpful and what has not been helpful? Mm -hmm. Such a good question. I will say what has not been helpful, and this is not so much for the person going through it, but for anyone who's supporting someone with grief is saying things like, I don't know how you're doing it because it's like, yeah, yeah, didn't choose to. So I would just avoid saying that. In terms of support, like from other people, what I found really helpful was like, people just doing things without asking like family members who sent me like an Uber Eats gift card or something just super simple with like life-changing very big difference and then for myself honestly it's just knowing that the stupidest stuff can get you out of your grief like for me what actually my fiance worked out for me is if I sit down with like a montage of the 10 best real housewives fights I'm not thinking about my grief anymore and sometimes (laughs) that's the best distraction 100% distraction is good yeah you need it because Otherwise, you're on the hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just like getting, I mean, maybe this is feeding exactly into what I said my problem was with avoiding things, but like sometimes just knowing what will get you in a better mood, even if it's just ladies screaming at each other is like super helpful. I love your fiance. <laughs> I just feel like you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself and I wish I could take that away. I wish I could just like let you sob alone or with your fiance or wherever And I wish I could take away the pressure of your determination to feel better because don't we all though? God, I just think it fucking sucks. You had to deal with this. It does. Yeah. Yes. Your mom should be there to fucking hold your hand through all the other shit that you're going to go through. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too, I think is just people acknowledging like just what Anna did. It's like, this fucking sucks. And I wanted to hear that more from people. Yeah. I didn't want to hear, you know, it'll be better. It'll be better. And you had all this time with her and you had such a close bond. What if you weren't close? It wouldn't have been whatever. It's like, no, it's fucking awful. It's brutal. No one should have to feel this kind of pain. And I'm so sorry that this hurts like hell. Like it's just an acknowledgement of what you're going through. Yeah. 
so true. It is very validating. Yeah. I really appreciate like having the conversation. I don't know. Hopefully someone else can listen. Like totally. for me, when I have my feelings, literally like my Google search history is insane. It's like, I'm feeling really weird and crappy. What does this mean? Like I'll like, Google like my feelings. Not super helpful. Don't get a lot of good results. <laughs> so it's helpful just to hear from other people and talk about it. And hopefully someone else can listen to this and feel validated too. Yeah. You'll always miss your mother. It will not always feel this painful to think about. It's like you're born again. You're coming back in and it's going to be messy and it's going to suck and it's going to be hard, but you're going to emerge this new person. And if if you take the time to really go through this ickiness, you're actually granting yourself this gift of this time mm-hmm. because Nobody expects you to have your shit together. It's only been a couple months. Yeah. This was your best friend. This was your mother. This is massive. You're going to be upset with yourself if you don't give yourself this time now. There's no rush. Yeah. That's super reassuring and like really good advice. I want you to make up little business cards that say, pardon me, my mother, whom I was very close with, just passed. Here you go. Forgive my journey. Yeah. Honestly, that'd be so handy. It's not a bad idea. It's not. No, I love it. Because right now it's looming. It's always in there with every action. Exactly. But yeah, that's all really reassuring. So thank you guys so much. Please go cry. Look at pictures. Yeah. Cry. Yeah. Feel it all because I promise you, I thought I'd be dragged away in a white coat. I don't know if they do that anymore, but I had this visual of myself being like scraped off my bathroom floor and into a gurney, like a bye. There goes Becca. I promise that's not going to happen. Exactly. I promise. (laughs) It actually won't. And you're going to be surprised how short it lasts, but you got to get it out. Yeah. Good advice. And you're right. Nice to know. It will stop and it's not just going to be open forever. It's not. Yeah. Alyssa, I love you. And I'm really grateful for your call because I know that a lot of people are struggling with a variety of different ideas of grief. Yeah. Alyssa, thank you. And I'm thinking about you. Well, thank you both so much. It was great to talk about grief with people. It's exciting to talk to both of you. It's really nice. Loved meeting you. Yeah, I loved meeting you guys as well. Thank you. Bye. And that you love. Bye. Bye, Alyssa. For you to be able to kind of speak to the anger, I Mm -hmm. thought was really, really interesting because of course you're pissed. Of course. Yeah. You just get pissed. It's really unfair. It's really tough to have to keep being a human being after you've experienced such a crazy amount of loss and trauma. And you're just expected to like, you know, the funeral happens and then everyone goes back to their life. I remember the day of my boyfriend's funeral, the memorial ended I had just been chain smoking cigarettes in a corner, just wanting everyone to leave me alone. And it was just like a depressing day. And I get into the car and I was like, oh no, this is actually when it's the worst because the chapter, the door closed for all those people. They honored him. They remembered him. They celebrated him. But now they all go back to their families. They go back to work. They go back to their boyfriends. And then I'm left and I'm so alone. And I just remember being like, I am done. This is so unfair. And I bet probably at that time too, were like friends calling you up, forgetting. Oh yeah. (laughs) People did some fucked up things. And here's the thing. Nobody teaches us how to do any of this. So in hindsight, I have a lot of empathy for my friends. It's such a like helpless feeling, you know, but there were just a lot of times where it was hard. I had a friend who's no longer my friend send me her wedding pictures about 
six days after my boyfriend passed away, like the gallery shoot of the whole wedding. And it literally was something like the happiest day of my life. Was the oh my God, Becca. It's <laughs> oh, like, great. I just picked out a casket. Oh, aren't we ding dongs? We don't know how to do this though. You know, it was almost comical. I don't know. I mean, I was obviously enraged, but we're all so messy and we're all so selfish at the end of the day that we can't expect a lot. But I mean, I think better than that I should have gotten, but you know, who knows? I think that's really wise and generous. I'm trying. I want to talk to you about family. Yes. Tell me about your baby. Oh, my baby. Well, I should have done the disclaimer that I normally do, which is I have a six-month-old son. And ever since he arrived on planet Earth, half of my brain is gone. Yep. 100%. Does it come back? Nope. Oh, fuck. But the good news is it just gets numb. Oh, God. So there's like kind of a state of contentment. That's exactly what my friend told me. And now I know it's true. I was hoping it was wrong. She goes, you just sort of stopped caring too. (laughs) Yeah. Damn it. I wish I had done more with my brain before. You know what I mean? Like, Uh like play Jeopardy or something. I don't know. I just, (laughs) it's gone. Words are gone. The ability to articulate is gone. It took me six months to, to be completely honest with you to feel that feeling of being a mom. Totally. I was like, you're a stranger and I do love you and I hope you stay alive. And I'm going to try everything I can to keep you alive and happy. And I had a surrogate. So I wasn't breastfeeding and I didn't carry him. I felt like maybe that was why it took so long. But at the six month mark, I was leaving for a job for a couple days and I was like packing my suitcase and I had been leaving a lot. Like I was able because you know, we had to use a surrogate. I had the ability to be a new mom the way that new dads are, where it's like, okay, he's here. We're going to go on a vacation. He smells good for smells right great. now. This we're, is- <laughs> we're good. And I'm going to go on a work trip and I'm so golden and I can walk and I can be normal. So I was going to do that. And then I was leaving the other day and my husband's holding him and I'm about to roll my suitcase out to the car and he turns and he reaches for me. And it was the first time that he had done the reach for anybody really, because he's such a blob before that. And I started sobbing uncontrollably. And I was like, I can't go. I'm not going. I'm never leaving. And I had that moment. And I almost, in the moment, it felt like shit. But then I got on the airplane and I was like, it's here. I'm a mom. I'm a mom. (laughs) I'm not an alien. I'm not awful. I have a heart. And I am now madly in love with this little being And it's amazing. And we have a nanny, which I also tell all my friends that I'm a weak person and I couldn't do this without a nanny. And I don't know how people do. I love it that you own that. It's important to have whatever that support looks like. I think that people in general, parents in general, should have the ability to set up whatever infrastructure works so that everybody can be happy and not resentful and not exhausted. And I mean, exhaustion is inevitable, but less exhausted and fulfilled. And so I just didn't believe in being miserable for the first year or the first whatever. So I have a wonderful nanny who my son loves probably more than me. And I'm actually great with that. You know, it's a beautiful thing. So we're navigating everything. We're about to go on a book tour though. And that is going to be the longest I've been away from him. And I'm super nervous, but my husband is like very involved. And so he's in good hands. (laughs) So I know you've been kind of open about the surrogacy. Mm -hmm. I got pregnant at 35 after trying for like a year and a half. I ended up taking a very common hormone pill. I can't remember what it's called because 
I've lost it. Gone. But it's like an older drug. Anyway, that ended up working. I got pregnant and I never viewed myself as a natural mom. I was never like a natural babysitter. I was never drawn to kids. Like I found them amusing if they were smart enough, you right. know. Same. <laughs> Impressive. Yeah, I'm a younger child. Yes. Like, I'm an actress. Like, yes. I'm the baby. <laughs> <laughs> we are the baby. Permanent babies. <laughs> but I remember having a really lovely pregnancy. Like, I remember kind of being surprised by that. I remember feeling kind of calmly content. It was a peaceful time in my life. And I remember for the first time feeling like lucky that I can carry this thing. Now, then, <laughs> my water broke at 30 weeks right. and I had a three pound baby. Mm. So, my like happy, content pregnancy was right. Definitely. Yeah. There was Great. an earthquake. Yes. <laughs> Which that was a whole journey. But what was your emotional experience like with the surrogate? So, I was so lucky and I always feel so lucky that living in Los Angeles and doing what we do for a living, we have so much access whether it be information or specialists or even just people who have experienced parenthood in different unconventional ways. So I had a few horrible pregnancies that I think my furthest went to about 15 weeks. And I actually had quite the opposite. I had the most horrible depression, bout of depression, the most recent pregnancy. I miscarried it, I think, nine weeks with that one. But I remember... I was like, I'm supposed to be so happy. I'm supposed to be so grateful that I'm pregnant oh. again. And I'm supposed to feel this and I'm supposed to be oh, God. And I felt like shit. And I just was like, this is what life is. This is what I've been trying to do. It was the scariest feeling of depression I'd ever experienced. And I had experienced some shit. And so I was like, this is awful. I miscarried at nine weeks and I actually cried. I cried because I knew that I would have to try again. It wasn't because I was sad. I was like relieved. But then I cried because I was like, what the fuck? I have to do this again. So I had a threshold in which I think most people have one. And I threw up the white flag and I was like, I'm done. I don't know what this means, but me physically, I'm done making a baby. So that was sort of where we left off. And I took some time. I went through IVF, froze some embryos and was getting ready to transfer the embryos because of course you say you're done and you give up and then you go and you try again because we're like masochists in that way. And we want to desperately be mothers. And so I went to get ready for the transfer. And again, my body just freaked the fuck out. And I got really, really, really sick from all the hormones. Oh, that's... Uh... Ugh, the hormones, like, don't even... That was another thing. It was like, how am I supposed to do a fucking show? The hormones are the devil's work. It's like, how on earth is this necessary to make life? Is for me to feel like shit on the bottom of a shoe run over by eight cars. Like, it was the most awful experience. And so my doctor said, we can't transfer this embryo into your body. Your body is like, you know, rejecting, rejecting. And then we went back to the drawing board. And finally, I got this random job offer. And this was the middle of the pandemic. And we had been stuck in our house, you know, for 8 million years. And I got this job to do a show in Vancouver that would take me out of LA, separate me from my embryos, and not allow me to go back and forth at all because it was when the border was closed. And it was like, if you go to Canada and you do this show, you're there and you're there for six months and there's no going back and forth. And it normally would have sounded terrible, but there was something in it for me that felt like I was being granted a break 
And it was a non-negotiable. So I was so grateful to A, work again. And during the pandemic, I went and I did this show. And while I was up there, I connected with an old friend who owns an egg donor and surrogacy agency. And my friend Taylor, he called me and he's just like, I'm checking in. How's everything going with baby making? Because he was sort of my rock during that time. He knew everything about everything. And I said, I'm done. Like, I'm done. I'm so devastated that I have to come home. I'm dreading coming home to those embryos. I'm so done being the pin cushion, the this, the that. And he said, what about surrogacy? You know, it's a beautiful thing. And people, when they talk to me about it and they're like, it's such an ignorant thing for people to say, but they're always like, doesn't it feel like Handmaid's Tale? What? Yeah. Oh, you can't imagine how many people have said this to me. <laughs> what? Yes. I'm like, well, um... No, my husband isn't forcing himself on a woman. And, you know, it's a job. Surrogacy is a job. It's a paying job. And a lot of women who love being pregnant and who have great, beautiful pregnancies who are done having their own biological children who want the ability to give this amazing gift to a family and also make money for her own family, it's beautiful. And so he said to me, I'm going to send you a little information, no pressure. And he did. And my goddaughter is actually the product of a surrogate. And so I was already very familiar with that relationship and comfortable. And so I connected with this woman and my husband was finally on board because it's a really hard thing for men to understand. They're like, what? I don't understand how this works. Is it my baby? Is it your baby? And I'm like, it's our baby. It's our embryo. It's our DNA. And my friend likes to say, he's just getting here on another bus. And it was a really incredible... We had the most incredible woman who was raising her own children, single mother, just such a kind, beautiful human who felt very honored to be able to give us this gift. And it was just a really amazing experience. Ah, oh, what a beautiful sense of security. If you're like at this emotional place, which I don't know if you were, but like where you can't trust your own body, I thought for sure I was going to have a miscarriage. You did. I was bracing myself for it. My mom had had multiple. I had never been pregnant before. I was 35. I was already a geriatric pregnancy. I wanted to be prepared for it. Mm -hmm. It was actually really hard to find resource. Like after a while, I was at the three-month mark, three-and-a-half-month mark, I was getting a little more comfortable with the idea that I wasn't going to have a miscarriage, but I truly didn't know what to expect, how it would feel, what to do. Do I call the police? I mean, yeah, like truly, I didn't know. Do I call my mom? Right. I had zero idea of how to handle that. And not that I'm asking you necessarily to talk about those really painful times in your life. Did you find the same thing? To me, that felt confounding that so many women have them. And if something were to happen, I wouldn't have the first clue about what to do. Yeah. No, it's actually, it's been such a quiet, taboo topic for so many generations that there's no guide on how to be pregnant, how to get pregnant, what you're supposed to feel when you're pregnant. We've been fed all this bullshit from movies and people lying about it and covering up the ugliness that there's ugliness there, even though it's a beautiful thing that's happening. And the end result is God willing, a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean that the whole experience has to be rainbows and sparkles and sunshine. And I felt really angry. I felt like I hadn't been prepared, like you're saying. And I, I wanted everybody to leave me alone 
There's a lot of unsolicited advice that also comes in when you start oh, to have difficulty. Oh my God. The amount of people that were like, you know what you should do? You should go on a romantic vacation, have a bottle of wine, and it's just going to happen. And I'm like, I want to kick you in your face right now because my issue isn't getting pregnant, lady. Done that. We've done a lot of romantic nights. Did so many romantic <laughs> things. Now we're down to like no romance at all. Haven't seen the waxer in fucking three years because I'm just too pissed in my whole body to take care of it. It's so hard. And I'm talking to my girlfriends who are breastfeeding right now. And they're like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? The research I've been doing just because I'm so curious about this space and I'm just so infatuated with spreading information and obsessed with no woman ever feeling this alone and this kind of helpless with no resources. We had a doctor come on the podcast the other day and she said that women who are pregnant have surging amounts of estrogen. You know, that's this happy, usually like you're feeling with it, whatever. The reason women feel like they're brainless and absolutely useless when they're breastfeeding is because your estrogen drops to a menopausal level when you're breastfeeding. And if you think about menopause and emotionally and where women go during that time, so you're menopausal and you have a newborn to keep alive and you're a brand new mom and you have a new chapter in your life. So it's like, it's fucking hard and it never gets easier. It's beautiful, but it's also, I just want people to be more honest about their experiences. Or say nothing at all. 100%. Mm -hmm. When I had Jack at 31 weeks, I felt, I don't know, I guess I felt like I didn't do my job. Yeah. Did you run through everything in your mind? All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. What caused it? How did this happen? What does this mean? Did I have an orgasm in my dream? That's what I remembered. I like had an orgasm in the middle of the night, like, you know, a dream orgasm. Right. I was dreaming lucidly. I felt a gush. And I was in total disbelief. Like, what do I do? Like, I was really surprised when I was told to go immediately to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Like, that was like, what does that mean? They're going to put some more fluid in me, maybe, and right. send me back home. I had no idea what was happening. And so then all this information came flying at me, which we arrived at Cedar sinai at like three in the morning. And people were taking my situation very seriously. And I was told that I wasn't going to be leaving until the baby was out. I couldn't oh. comprehend that. I was like, this thing isn't due till October, though. Okay. <laughs> All the information was like stuck. Yeah. You'll drive yourself crazy thinking about and obsessing over. For a long time, I was really pissed at myself for not freezing my eggs, you know, because there was a time in my life where... I was in my late 20s and I had my boyfriend of a year and a half actually just passed away out of nowhere. And he was who I pictured life with. And we talked about having kids. And I remember about a year after that, I was like, I should freeze my eggs. I'm getting to that age where they make it scary, where they make it seem scary after 30 or whatever it was. And I just didn't because I was not in a space. And emotionally, I just wasn't prepared to do that. But when I started to have trouble later in my early 30s, I was like, if you had just frozen some eggs and they would have been fresher, they wouldn't be these old crusty ass, like on the verge of expiring eggs. <laughs> but, you know, we do what we do. And I have to say that while I wish my path had been less rocky, I'm grateful for a lot of things. And I'm actually very grateful to have done it the way that I did. Yeah. I 
believe in surrogacy. I believe in options. And I believe that everybody should do it their own way. So even if you don't require medically a surrogate, you haven't had a doctor say to you, you can't carry a baby. Sometimes they just won't. And sometimes you have to be your own advocate and say, I have done enough. I have done enough and my body is done and I am done. And if I'm going to be a mother, it's going to be in a different way. And there's so much beauty in that. And I'm very grateful that I did get to see this side of things as much of a bitch as it was and sort of just be a little more open about the whole experience just in general, because we don't really get that. I so appreciate you talking about this. Thank you. No, thank you. And I bet your baby is just incredible. He's pretty great. I mean, he was all right, you know, for the first six months, he was fine. Now he's amazing. (laughs) I know. I know. Their heads get all big. Yes. And they're just like jolly. And they still smell really good. And it's just like, ah. Yeah. I think the stage is coming soon where every single thing is a super dangerous object. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm already nervous about that because I'm already super anxious. I do it with my dog, so I'm going to be useless. You know, like, did she eat something off the floor? Oh, my gosh. Is she okay? Do you think she's okay? My husband's like, how many times a day are you going to ask me if your dog is okay? Like, I'm worried about you. So I'm hopeless. I want to talk to you about your book tour. Oh, yeah. How many cities and how are you feeling? It's like 16 cities over two and a half weeks. I'm already losing sleep every single night. You know, it takes a lot of energy. I know. It's a lot of connecting. And like we were talking about in the beginning, like I just, I don't thrive with those interactions so well because I don't really know what to say either. Like, what are you anticipating? So our book tour is essentially us going around and doing live shows in our major markets. So it's like a live podcast slash book reading, but not in the typical sense. Like, you know, it's kind of a fun way of telling stories and stories in the book. It's like some of our own secrets of life because it's called Lady Secrets. And we wrote our deepest, darkest secrets. And then we collected the deepest, darkest secrets from our community. And they are fucking crazy and amazing. Can you give us a hint of a couple of secrets? Yes, I can. My personal favorite secret in the whole book. I don't know why this makes me laugh so much because I love my in-laws. But there's a woman who hates her in-laws so much that she has faked a narcolepsy diagnosis for many years. So anytime she's around them, she just closes her eyes and they just, it's a free pass. She puts her head on her husband's shoulder. Shit. That is so genius. She's a genius. (laughs) I love her so much. So that's like one of my favorite. I don't know why it makes me laugh so hard. What a great strategy. It's so good. I love my in-laws. But with other people in my life, that would have been rad. I know. I wish I had thought of it. So there's that. And then there's stories that there are a lot of women cheating and they don't plan on stopping. And it's kind of amazing. Women are really good liars. And I think that as many women are cheating as men, but we are smarter and we do a better job of hiding it. And I also think there are women that are compartmentalizing their lives in a way that they aren't unhappy in their marriages. They are just finding happiness other places as well. And a lot of it is with like young swim coaches, their children's. (laughs) 
And, <laughs> you know, personally, I don't have energy, but the whole book, it's kind of separated into sections. We got 10,000 anonymous submissions. Amazing. Yes. And so it was going through these secrets and finding what was appropriate for different sections. And there's also like the heartbreaking stories that are just, you know, terrible and just the tough stuff. But then there's really silly stuff. And I just love this community of women because we are sort of like doing away with the feeling of shame. And part of that is like no more secrets. And granted, these are anonymous. Ours that we wrote in the book are not anonymous. So I'm sort of petrified and terrified for those to come out in the world. But I don't know. It's freeing. And what's really beautiful is that women are writing these stories and you find that we're not all that unique. And we all have very similar feelings and we all experience similar things. And we have been trained to keep them really hidden and down to like being embarrassed about discharge. Like it's crazy that as a woman, you don't actually know you're normal like ever. No one ever tells you when you take off your underwear, there may be a substance inside of that. And that means you're normal. It's just crazy and mind-blowing that we aren't told this. And I remember hiding underwear from my husband when he was my boyfriend because I didn't think it was a normal thing to have. Yeah, I'm so with you. Who wouldn't be? You know, a snail trail, let's normalize it. It's silly stuff like that. And we just are so excited for it to come out because it's really entertaining. Me too. I am really excited. And it's coming out, I think it's September 20th. And we're hitting the road on September 13th, I think. You guys are going to get so much love and support. It's going to be awesome. It'll be exhausting. You'll forget your hotel room number. Oh, yeah. But I know you guys are just going to get a lot of love and support. And it'll feel really good. It will. That's my prediction. I'm really happy for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Jordan! Hey! Hi! Hi! Thank you so much for your letter. I'm here with Becca, who is just fucking amazing. Jordan, will you tell us what's going on? Yeah, so... There's a guy that I've been crushing on for several years now, but the only real interaction we've had with each other is through Instagram. Um, This is someone that I've met in person before. So just to like give you some background, we met back in my senior year of college. So this was like 10 years ago. We met through (laughs) Grindr and met to do what you do when you meet on those apps. But we hit it off like really, really well. We had a great physical connection. We had a lot of things in common. Our names are both Jordan. 
we were in the same major, like just all these things in common. We couldn't believe we hadn't ran into each other before. But this was like my last month of college that we met each other. So we met up like several times, had a great time, felt like we really connected. But then we graduated, moved away, haven't seen him since. After college, I went through like a pretty dark spell, struggling with like mental health issues and alcoholism and sort of like cut myself off from a lot of the people that I was connected to, but have since then worked the steps. Today is actually my five-year anniversary of being sober. Wow, congrats. Congrats. Yeah. So I've worked the steps. One of the things I've been doing over the past couple of years is reconnecting with people that I had cut myself off from. So like I started seeing him on Instagram again, super cute, super, super talented. Like we're both into film and photography. He has amazing work, like his stuff all the time. He also likes every post that I make, like is always like one of the first people who likes it. I don't know if I read into this too much, but like I'm really crushing on this guy. What I would like to know from you is how do you think I should pursue this? Like, should I just come right out and say like, hey, I've been crushing on you for like 12 years now? Or should I like maybe start it out like looking to be friends or like what questions do you have? What do you think? I love this. Becca has a huge smile on her face. I love it so much. <laughs> Yay. I did meet my husband. I think it was like 10 to 12 years before we actually dated. Oh, wow. So... I have good feelings about this. Okay. And I also have great feelings about him being the first to like your pictures because listen, I don't like any pictures I don't want to like. And I don't like any pictures yeah. of somebody that I don't like. So that's my two cents for now. But Anna, please okay. dive in. <laughs> nice. The risk of rejection. How are you feeling about that idea? That's like what I fear the most and probably why I'm so reluctant, I guess. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? He just shuts me down and I move on. But I do sort of have good feelings about this. But yeah, that's probably why I've been so apprehensive for so long. It's just the fear of rejection, really. You know, I guess the easy thing to say is like DM him and say, I've been thinking a lot about you. I remember our time together. It was awesome. Like opening up the conversation. Have you done anything in that realm? No, I haven't. Okay, well, I guess that would be like the basic advice. That's the basic preliminary advice for right now. Yeah. Just those simple steps. Crafting like an easy thing of how are you? I miss you. I'm thinking about you. You maybe don't have to say I miss you. Maybe that feels a little too heavy. Yeah. But just casually opening the door. When I read your letter, though, Jordan, I was thinking a little bit about our tendency to romanticize people. Yeah. And that's okay because... I think he is still almost a fictional character to you right now. Yeah. In that sense, I would think maybe if he does reject you, like, oh, I just want to be friends or I'm with somebody else or however the casual reach out goes, does that make it more painful or less painful if he's been kind of idealized? I understand where you're coming from, because like I said, it's been going on for so long that it's sort of just become surreal almost, you know? Right. You think about him a lot. Well, like every time I get on there, I see him. Yeah. So it does come up a lot. But yeah, I also wonder too, like if I wasn't so on my phone all the time, how much would I be thinking about him, you know, because right. I wouldn't be getting those constant reminders. Right. Is he like a blockade? And Jordan, this is a weird question. Have you written fan letters before? No. Okay. The only reason why I ask this is because I have two dear friends that keep relationships at a distance through almost a fan-like process. It's almost like they talk about wanting a relationship, but they really don't because they're obsessed 
with like Harry Styles or whatever. Yeah. But it sounds like that's not you. But I do wonder if Jordan has occupied a big part of your brain that maybe we could fill with other people. Yeah, that's a good point. I've never thought of it that way. You've gone through a lot. You've held him up as like this pillar, you know, and because your relationship is now on Instagram, his life is very idealized. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I'm 32 years old. I've never been in a relationship. So I feel like I'm like a little thirsty and curious for that. And that could also be a driving force that maybe like subconsciously that's what I'm thinking. And I'm searching out for that in other people. And then maybe you're right. Like maybe it has caused me to idealize him. I think he's safe for you Yeah. in this space. And that's probably why you haven't even done a casual reach out. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm really proud and impressed of your work on yourself. That is incredible. That can be a really lonely journey. And I'm really impressed by all that you've accomplished. That takes a lot of strength. Thank you. Becca, what are your thoughts? So I totally understand the idealizing and romanticizing somebody, you know, because it's a lot easier to go there in your brain of there is this perfect person out there. And I think this is him because it looks like it on Instagram. I would say I would not be able to not reach out. I would need to make contact somehow. But the way that I want you to reframe it in your brain, if you do the casual reach out, is that you're an amazing fucking person. So you're basically taking applications and you're just letting him know that, hey, just so you know, I've done a lot of work on myself over the last five years. I'm handsome. I'm smart. I've got my shit together. Where are you at? And so you don't know. He could be a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to tell through social media. Exactly. And he's already giving you the double tap and he's liking your stuff. So he's sending you signals and you're not an idiot. You're like, hello, I've noticed these signals. We have a history. Yeah. How are you? How are things? You know, if you're ever in the same city, like it can be really casual. And my husband actually tricked me like this. He very much tricked me into the same thing where he was really thinking about me for like the better part of a decade. And he kept reaching out and seeing me. But he was so fucking secure. Like he was like, I'm a catch, but I'm just letting you know <laughs> I'm taking submissions. And I was like, I've got to get to this guy. Like he totally tricked me. I didn't know he was pining away from me for 10 years. Yeah. So if you play it cool and there's a sexiness about security, you're not thirsty. You're 32 and you're just at a point now where you're ready for a relationship. That's not thirsty. Okay. Reframe that. You're not a troll that is like desperate for love. Like I said, you're handsome. You've got your shit together. Keep that in the front of your brain at every interaction because he may be a mess. You may connect and you might have coffee and be like, this is not the person or maybe it's the same person that I met 12 years ago and you haven't grown at all. Or it might be amazing. But yeah, just like reframing it, be curious. But also, like Anna said, keep your dance card open because you don't know what other magical people are waiting out there. Because when you do that kind of work for yourself and you make the universe know that you're ready to take on somebody just as evolved and ready and wonderful as you are, they're listening. So also look for those people that might be coming into your life as well. Okay. That's a good perspective. If we told you, like, right after this call, you should DM him with a casual thing, would you do it? Yeah, I think so. You would? Yeah, I think I'm ready. It feels good? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So, Becca, what does Jordan say to Jordan? So you haven't had any DM exchanging. It's just been liking photos. 
Correct. Okay. Do you live in the same city? You don't, do you? No, I don't know where he lives because he travels all the time. He's like always posting from different places. So that I'm not so sure. And then where do you live? I live in Illinois. Okay. So what if you reach out with, I don't know if this is so cheesy because I haven't dated in a long time, but like, is Hey Stranger so lame? (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, I think Hey Stranger's sexy-ish. Yeah, I can go for that. Hey Stranger, I love following your life here. It seems like things are... Or like something along the lines without sounding like a proud parent. But like, I love being able to follow along on your life here. And I've been thinking about you. Is that too much? Is that too heavy? I don't know. How does it feel? I think it feels a little heavy. (laughs) Because like I said, like, we are both really into like photography. It's what we studied in school. So we just be like, hey, I really enjoy looking at your work. I think you have a great portfolio or maybe something to that effect. Yeah, you're crushing it right now. Yeah. Yeah. How have you been? Yeah, that's pretty simple. Simple. You know, he's not going to read it and be like, oh, why are you so obsessed with me? Yeah. You know, he's going to be like, oh, this is sweet. It's weird that you've been lingering on each other's pages and you haven't addressed it. And that part does give me pause. Like, I think there's zero risk and only potential gain about sending him a DM. I do think the idea of liking all of your posts and not reaching out feels a little bit like he's distant. But I don't think there's anything to lose here. It sounds like you're at a place where you wouldn't feel incredibly pained if he wasn't your guy. I think I could take it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, I'm still exploring. So she's a good place to start. Yeah. And you're in a beautiful place right now in your life. Like I'm excited. Totally. You You get to audition all of these people and see what you like and see what you don't. And I'm excited for you. Oh, good. Like Anna said, this could be a thing. It could not. But it's also putting yourself out there, which I think people respect. Yes. Yeah. Regardless of if he's in a relationship, if he's available, if he's looking, whatever it is, that is going to just send the message that you're secure, that you're putting it out there, that you're not going to beat around the bush and play games. You're a 32-year-old man who's got it together and it's like, great. Yeah. Try it out on him. And if it doesn't work, I can change my method, tweak it and try again. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) And Jordan, if you're in a place where you want to be in a relationship, taking those small acts of courage is crucial. Okay. You'll get better at it too. I really hope that Jordan, like, says something like, oh my God, it's taken this long for you to finally DM me. I've been crushing (laughs) on you forever. But if that doesn't happen, and if he's like, oh, hey, awesome to hear from you, however the nuance of that conversation goes, I feel like you're at a place where you'll be prepared for it. Yeah. Just like Becca said, as an exciting opportunity, not necessarily a devastation if there's rejection involved. And if there is rejection involved, fuck that noise, you know? He doesn't maybe want what you want right now and what you have to offer. And that's okay, you know? Yeah. I really appreciate your perspective. This has made me very excited too. Good. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys get flirty and you don't know what to say next, you'd be like, just let me know if you're ever in this neck of the woods, you know? Yeah. Love to catch up IRL, whatever. You know, it's it's cash. It's cool. You're confident. Yeah. It's going to be fun. (laughs) I'm excited for you. Thank you. Jordan, I'm really happy for you. Yeah, I'm going to message him like as soon as we get off the call. I think I'm ready. (laughs) Nice to meet you, Jordan. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for your advice. Jordan, thank you. I love you. I'm thinking of you. Love you too. Have a good day. You too. Bye, Jordan. Bye. I love him. Becca, I just can't thank you enough. You are so good at this. Thank you. You are too. Every time I listen to the podcast... (laughs) 
it's not that you surprise me because I think that you're not going to give it, but I think your advice is always really unique. You always have a really good perspective. You make people think about things in different ways. I just really think that you are doing a nice thing here. Thank you. Becca, will you tell us important dates for your book tour? So we are going on tour. We're starting in Chicago on September 13th. And then we end in Denver on November 6th. The book becomes available on September 20th. And you can get everything, all the information on theladygang.com. Becca, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. me. 